The following is a presentation of the Six Arrows Radio Network. Episode 51, Ham Radio 360. We're going to dip our toes into the waters of software-defined radio. MTCRadio.com presents Ham Radio 360, the podcast, with your host, Kale Nelson, K4CDN. Welcome into Ham Radio 360. I am Kale, your host, K4CDN, and that you know that sounds kind of cool. Let me say it again. Welcome into Ham Radio 360. I am Kale. Yeah, if this is your first time through, you may not know why that sounds any different than it has in the past. Well, recently, episode 50, we rebranded our site and our podcast name. Now we're known as Ham Radio 360. And we're exploring the hobby in every direction. We started out as the Photime Podcast. And to make a very long story short, it was kind of an inside joke. Some buddies of mine and I were on an internet forum and we talked about ham radio. And that was an inside joke there. And it kind of bled over to the podcast. And the podcast kind of took a life of its own and, and became what no one ever anticipated. And that was a worldwide sensation. And you guys have just been all over us. And we really appreciate everybody participating with us. And you can find us online at hamradio360.com. Now, not only there will you find links to this podcast and, and past episodes, you'll also find links to other folks who are producing content for the amateur radio hobby. So if you're interested in some blogging, some vlogging, other podcasts, just different points of view, maybe some places to buy and sell, maybe you're looking for some new gear, we've got everything listed there. And again, it's hamradio360.com. So the IC7300 may be the most popular radio of our time, or at least it appears that way. People are going nuts over this thing, and we're going to learn a lot more about that radio here in the program. If you're interested in buying an ICOM IC7300 or any ICOM gear, check first with our friends at mtcradio.com. Let Richard know you heard about him on the Ham Radio 360 podcast, and they'll do their best to give you the best deal on your ICOM gear. It's mtcradio.com. Now we're going to get down to the meat and taters, as we say in South Carolina. Here comes Gerald and Jeremy. Let's talk about some SDR. All right. Thanks, Kale. Folks, I'm excited to be here tonight with the first full normal episode of Ham Radio 360, and we're finally going to get into a subject that's pretty exciting. Uh, tonight we have uh, Gerald, KF5JNU, a longtime friend and supporter of the show. How you doing, Gerald? Doing pretty good, Jeremy. Well, I'm excited because we are finally going to crack the lid on the software-defined radio topic. And I'm very excited to be cracking that lid, <laughs> just like a cold can of Budweiser. <laughs> so tonight we uh, we are going to kind of have a fairly broad, but uh, not necessarily too deep discussion to introduce SDRs and SDR topics. Uh, again, SDRs are software-defined radios. And uh, we're going to end with a way that people can get started at home for about 20 bucks, which is probably one of the more exciting parts about all this. Yeah, I think that's really what, you know, when we get to talking about it, that's what's gotten it um, so much traction in the amateur radio community is uh, that little $20 stick we're going to talk about. Yep, it's it's really the Baofeng of, of SDR. So, well, let's start with an overview. Tell us, what is software-defined radio? Okay, um, and I'm by no means an expert on uh, any of this stuff, so 
hopefully there's not, you know, some uh, engineer sitting there saying, oh, he didn't, you know, raise to the third modular exponent or something. But we're going to keep it a lot, lot simpler than that. Um, so software-defined radio is essentially just a device that takes the electrical signals out of the air and feeds them to your computer to let the computer software um, do the processing or the handling of that signal. Uh, conventionally, that's been, you know, a big desktop PC. You know, it's been, you know, your fan-cooled 120-volt computer sitting in your room that had the power to do that. In recent years, you know, PCs have become so powerful. You know, most people's phones are more powerful than an average PC uh, was, you know, five, ten years ago. So, you know, laptops really aren't a problem. Uh, Raspberry Pis, you know, a $30 single-board computer, no problem. And you're even seeing it now. Some of the big three manufacturers are starting to incorporate um, FPGAs, you know, a, a little small programmable computer type board with uh, software defined radios. And they're taking the same form factor as a conventional, you know, knobbed normal radio, but it has all the performance of SDRs inside of it. So now you, you kind of specifically mentioned. You know, there's a box that serves as kind of like an analog to digital converter as it gets signal from the antenna. So that definitely covers the receive side. But does the phrase SDR have any meaning when we talk about transmission? Uh, yes, there there are transmitting SDRs. Um, you know, the uh, the big name is going to be Flex. Uh, Flex Radio has been around the game for a while, and they are a full transceiver SDR. The way that I look at it is receiving is the hardest part. Uh, it's the part that you need the best antenna, you need the best uh, coax for not losing line. You know, it's it's really hard to pull out those weak signals. When you talk about talking, you know, transmitting is transmitting, and it's pretty easy to throw out a you know a, a powerful signal. But picking out those weak sig- weak signals is kind of the harder part, or being able to pick out a wide area of signals. Um, being able to, you know, scan uh, some other things we'll talk about. Those are kind of the harder parts. So while SDRs are, you know, there are plenty of devices out there capable of transmitting. Uh, for the basic, the entry level, um, stuff like that, you're not going to be transmitting with an SDR, but don't let that discourage you. It's not supposed to be a replacement for your handy talkie. It's it's a complement. It's something that we're going to add to it. All right. And, you know, you were talking about receiving and we'll set transmitting to the side because you're right. The, the majority of the real magic is really around the reception, but my FT eight fifty seven, which is like a 150 year old radio, it has a receiver. So why do I care about SDR compared to, to the radio I have today? All right. Well, so the biggest, you know, if, without getting into um, performance specs and there's been plenty of uh, write-ups on, you know, specs, uh, I think his call sign is W4RAT. Um, I'll look it up and we can put it in the show notes. He's done a bunch of really good um, benchtop calibrated equipment type uh, testing on the performance of these things. So, you know, the listeners are interested. They can go down that road. But the big difference um, that I see for an SDR that differs it from your FT857 or my Kenwood TS2000 is the fact that you know, when you turn into a station, let's say you turn into 14.250, your transceiver or receiver at this point, your receiver is going to park itself on, you know, that three kilohertz chunk of, uh, 
spectrum right there. And it's just going to be listening to a sideband or AM, you know, whatever modulation you have. It's just listening to that narrow little spectrum of what you have the radio set to. With an SDR, you're parking on a wide swath of area. Um, if you were to set that, you know, your SDR to 14.250, you know, depending, and we'll talk about instantaneous bandwidth, you could be looking at 13.250 all the way to 15.250, and you could see every signal that pops up in that 10 megahertz. So on your 857, you're only going to hear the traffic coming across on that one frequency that you're set on. As to where with an SDR, you can set it on that frequency, hear all the traffic, but hear and see traffic that's taking place around that signal. Well, you're talking about seeing traffic and, you know, looking at bandwidth and things, but, you know, let's let's kind of talk about, because there are, like you said, there are many classes of these things, starting at the lower end of a little USB stick that I can plug into my computer all the way up to, um, you know, things like the flex radio with the Maestro controller that it actually can act as a standalone hardware thing. What is it that I'm doing with my computer? Are there knobs? You know, wh- where's this display that's showing me all this spectrum? So yeah, this is this is probably my most favorite part of the SDRs. I I've gotten into the hobby. My main interest in the hobby is tinkering. You know, uh, if somebody just gave me a box and said, "Here you go, you can talk on it," you know that that wouldn't be too much fun to me. And that's just my opinion. Uh, what I like is you know, oh man, there's a signal. I want to figure out how to decode it. So that's why I got to looking at SDR. Because exactly what you're saying, you're saying, are there controllers? Is there a screen? Yes and no. Um, the ANAN series, it's another brand of SDR transceiver. There's a lot of guys that use a DJ mixer board like you would see at a, uh, a DJ club with the turntables. And it's got all the little volume knobs that a DJ would use. Well, some guys have wrote some interface software so that you can use those knobs and sliders and dials to control your SDR. Um, I'm really happy with using a mouse. A lot of people don't like using the mouse. I like it because as soon as I see a signal, I can click on it. I can use my mouse wheel to scroll the frequency up and down. Uh, you can use your arrow keys to move the frequency around or your demodulated frequency around. And the interface that I'm talking about moving this frequency around in is once again, it's a number of different things. Uh, if you're a Windows user, the best hands down, absolutely unsurpassable software is SDR sharp. And as a hardcore Linux, um, fanboy, you know, it took me a long time to finally, uh, just admit that SDR sharp was the best and quit trying to, um, go around it other ways. The SDR sharp community is amazing. The software developer is amazing. Uh, the software developer has even created his own hardware that works great. It's just SDR Sharp, if you take one thing away from this, buy one of the RTLs that we'll talk about, download SDR Sharp, and go to town. Um, but then, you know, there's other software that people's written. There's one called SDR Console, which is a free download. You know, SDR Sharp is completely free. Uh, SDR Console, completely free. And for HF, it is absolutely amazing. Uh, the waterfall, um, you know, it scrolls down. If you've used any digital modes like PSK or FL Digi, you'll kind of understand what the waterfall is. Uh, it's continually um, cached. So as it's scrolling down and you see a signal pop up and you were off messing around in another part of the band, or not band, but, you know, another part of the spectrum, you can click back on there and it will replay back and rewind to that signal and you can hear what they said. Um, 
so for HF, that's you know really really great, and that software is kind of tailored towards HF. But maybe you're not a Windows guy, maybe you're not an OSX or a you know maybe you're OSX or a Linux guy. Uh, GQRX is an awesome piece of software that uses GNU Radio. It has a bunch of plugins. Um, it's real simple to get set up. And these you know big pro- programs, GQRX, SDR Console, and SDR Sharp, are just a window into the radio. So up in town now, people have um, found signals by tuning around and hearing them. With these software, or with these types of software interfaces, you see signals pop up and you click on them. And uh, free software, you know, is is the big goal. I'm not, I don't think I'll recommend any software tonight that isn't free. I think everything that I'm recommending um, is all free and uh, mo- SDR Sharp isn't open source, but it has a plug-in infrastructure for it that people write open source plugins. So uh, there's that whole side covered too. So at, at its basic, because we'll we'll come back and kind of do a deeper dive on the software here. But so at, at its basis, I mean, really, the these radios fall into two categories, right? There is computer connected, and then there are standalone. So the majority, I think, of what we see out there. Um, are mostly computer-connected ones today, although that, I think, is slowly changing. And so it sounds like there is, the components of that is there is some type of an interface that connects to your antenna that captures signals. Uh, it does some form of lightweight processing and sends that data into the computer where you have a software package that will help you visualize um, or interact with that, listen to things, decode things, and then you have... It sounds like all kinds of choices for control from keyboard and mouse all the way to using different MIDI devices, like you mentioned, the the DJ mixer type thing, um, to help control those things. Is that about sum up the components? Yeah, you you hit it right on the head, Jeremy. Awesome. So the on the other side of the, the, the spectrum, which is a poor pun, when we do look at the standalone ones, you and I have the good fortune of you and I own a standalone SDR that requires no computer. And what is that? Uh, I hope you're talking about the KX3. I am. Otherwise, talking, it's not an episode of the show if we don't bring up the KX3. <laughs> I was going to say otherwise, uh, we might have to tune out right now and not let my wife listen. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, the uh, the KX3 um, is is a SDR. Uh, transceiver um but if you set it down on a table with you know at your local ham club um you know of course everyone's going to know what a kx3 is but they're not going to know that it's a kx3 because it has the knobs it has the normal lcd display um they're just going to think that it's you know a normal radio very good so really in your in your experience about it i mean how long has SDR really been a topic that's been achievable or reachable by the average ham? Well, you know, ICOM a number of years ago had, I want to call it the RC 1000. Um, I've only seen them. I've never actually got to play with one, but it was a a serial RS 232 connected device. Uh, A lot of guys really liked them, but it was still in that pre, uh, you know, powerful computer type stage, you know, there are still Pentium twos and stuff floating around. Well, 2011, I want to say is kind of when the, you had a paradigm shift and SDRs became really popular 
and uh, really easy to obtain. Yeah, sorry, I was just Googling. I see that um, there was the ICPCR-1000 and there was, or is at least, the ICPCR-1500, which is basically, it's a receiver that's a box that plugs into your computer. Yep. And does it say what year that first came out? No, like it almost makes it sound like the 1500 might still be under manufacture, but don't quote me on that. Um, all right, well, I think we have done a good job of introducing things. When we come back from the break, we're going to start digging into the individual components more on the computer side, um, and we'll get into the, the, the hardware, the actual receivers or transceivers, um, some information about what you need for your computer, a little bit of information, a uh, deeper dive on the software, and then at the end we'll reserve some time to talk about some more of these standalone uh, transceivers. So we'll be right back. I'm finding that BridgecomSystems.com produces some of the finest 220 gear available to the amateur radio market. Well, how do I know? I've got their handy talkie. I've got their mobile, and they're both built like commercial rigs. Now, they're easy to program. They're easy to manipulate and get through the, the menus and adjust the settings, and, and the VFO works great, all of that. But they're built to commercial standards, and if you're looking for some 220 gear, I would recommend you check out BridgecomSystems.com. All right, folks, we're back with Gerald Wilson, KF5, just not unique. And we are talking software-defined radios. So let's start deep diving on the components. Let's start off with the boxes. Because the boxes that you have that you plug into your computer is awesome. Because for 20 bucks, I can get started playing with software-defined radio. Yeah, the um, so this is going to be you know the Baofeng of SDRs. Uh, the reason I say that is because you're going to buy it off Amazon. It's going to be ridiculously cheap compared to what's been available in the past. And you're going to get, you know, smiles and enjoyment out of it. Um, the RTL started life as a digital video uh, receiver decoder, or well, I guess just a receiver uh, for people over in Europe and uh, places that have DVB transmissions. We don't have them in the United States, so you didn't really see them too much here. I want to say 2010 or 11 or around that time is when the Osmocom group started messing with them. And I've never really found like a positive, uh, this is the guy who did it. But at some point, people found out how to get what they call the INQ data, the, uh, the signals from there just straight into the computer. So instead of being tuned just for, you know, the UHF transmission that the TV signals on, they were able to tune it, you know, from... Uh, the first ones were around 30 megahertz up to a gigahertz and tune that receiver chip in there all around and get the signals off of there. And then they start putting it into some rudimentary processors. So if you go onto Amazon right now and you do a uh, search, you're going to see a bunch of different RTLs. You'll see some from a company called Noelec. You'll see some from, uh, well, Noelec's going to be the big one. They have nice blue anodized cases and they make a good product. Yeah, you'll see. I, let me let me add to that because I just found out um, one of the links that we'll put in the show notes is uh, rtlsdr.com, I think. But they actually have a store and have started having their own RTL boards manufactured. Yeah, so actually the RTL um, that's the one that I'm going to recommend because with that um, 
you know, these started out just plastic case, little chiclets that you plug into your uh, computer and that's it. And, you know, they've been as cheap as nine, ten dollars Well, RTL SDR, the blog, is an amazing resource and the link's got to go into the show notes. And they started taking feedback from all these people of, well, this has got frequency drift or this one's PPM offsets crazy or this, this. And, you know, they all use that little tiny MCX uh, connector everyone said we wanted SMA so they took all those suggestions and came out with their own um, and they're on their second revision now they're using an aluminum case they're thermally bonding the tuner chip to that case so that you get hardly any frequency drift as the uh, tuner warms up it's got an SMA connector on it it's a good heavy duty um, construction and if you buy the RTL with the antenna combo it comes with a they call it a magma. It's not really magnetic, but it is. Um, it's a mag mount base with two telescoping antennas. And I'm telling you, the one is, you know, almost three feet tall. Uh, and it's great. All I've used it all the way down to uh, aircraft stuff with no problem. And then there's a shorter one for, you know, cellular stuff. And for $25. 25 uh, bucks. yep. You know, I know people that would pay that just for the little telescoping antennas. I wouldn't, but I know people that would. Now, you know, to be fair to people, when we talk about these, are these going to be absolutely the highest sensitivity and the high, you know the highest performing receivers in the world? Absolutely not. Does it allow? No. no. But is it a great gateway drug into playing with the spectrum? Absolutely. Right, and I, I don't think you know it's kind of like the bow thing. Um, you know, you stick one of those on. Uh, test equipment and you compare its sensitivity and all that and it's you know qst did their comparison and it showed up and it was you know if you looked at it just for the numbers there's no way anyone would buy them everybody would go down the street and buy ft60 but look at how many thousands of people have bought them and are completely happy with the performance that they've gotten out of them exactly so you know that's kind of the 20 dollars receive only and uh I mean, one of the things I think it's important for us to to bring up is that, as you mentioned before, these RTL dongles, their reception range out of the box without getting into doing hardware modifications or anything are approximately, I think, 25 megahertz now up to like 2.2 gig. Uh, yeah, so there's going to be uh, two variants depending on which actual chip they use. Um I think the RTL blog store is using the RT820 or R820T, and it's like 24 megahertz to 1.2 gig-ish. Now, since it is um, you know, software-defined, you can click in all that software, ignore hardware limits, and you can tune it up to 2, 3 gigahertz. You're not going to have very much performance, but you know, you're capable of doing that. Um, but when we say from 24 megahertz to 1.2 gigahertz, uh, you're getting the full data. So if you look at that, that's the same as saying you're getting a all VHF, all UHF receiver with AM, FM, sideband, CW, uh, adjustable filters out to, you know, however wide a filter you want. Uh, it'll do, it'll be able to pipe you 96, um, hundred baud data. It'll be able to pop you, uh, pipe, Eight, uh, what is it, 1,200 baud data, 4,800. You can, so you can take this device, and we'll talk about the software later, and you can put it on an APRS gateway and use it for a gateway into the Internet. You can take this device and you can 
listen to your repeater output. It's not, you know, a lot of people are going to think because they have messed with scanners and stuff, oh, it's just FM, AM, FM. And it is, um, you know, because sideband is just AM. But it's more of, this is a hardware device. We'll talk about software later. So, and the software is where all the money happens. So think, what can I do from 24 megahertz to 1.2 gigahertz? And that's what you're looking at at the hardware. Now, that brings up kind of a good point, right? Because as we talk about different hardware platforms, and I think we're going to dig a little bit deeper than I was originally thinking on this because there are so many great and affordable platforms. But when we're we're starting with the RTL, which, again, RTL is just the, the type of receiver chip or the manufacturer that, that's not actually a manufacturer of these devices. Um, and again, look at the show notes because we will have links to the, the things we recommend you buy and, and where to get them from. But when we're, we're talking about these receivers, there are a few specs that we really care about. And the first one you mentioned is the usable spectrum. In this case, it's 24 megahertz up to 1.2 gigahertz. What are some of the other hardware specs or performance specs that we look at that we might not be used to looking at? Yeah, so um, after your bandwidth, uh, really you only need to know two. Or I'm sorry, not after bandwidth. Really you only need to know two. You need to know your frequency range, what it covers, and you need to know what the um, bandwidth, instantaneous bandwidth is. Now, the bandwidth is often based off of your sampling rate, but that's, you know, that's discussion for a later talk. If you just, and they're all going to advertise this much bandwidth, this Mitch uh, frequency cover. So with like the RTL, you'll usually see them advertised as one or 24 megs, 1.2 gigs, and two megahertz of bandwidth. So that means if you park your receiver at 145 megahertz, you will be able to see every signal from 144 megahertz all the way up to 146 megahertz. So that whole lower half of uh, the two meter band. Right, and so that's basically when you get into the software, how much spectrum you can simultaneously look at. I, th- you know, you you had used a really good, um, you had used a really good analogy, is that you know a traditional radio goes to a party and can sit right in front of one person and only listen to that conversation, but an SDR goes to a party and can listen to every conversation simultaneously. Right, and then later you go back and you can you can pick those conversations out of the room. And because it is data, in fact, this is something um, I guess we should tell. So last year, uh, Gerald and some other friends of ours were staying with me for Dayton. And um, our big impulse purchase of the trip was actually an SDR product, a product called the Hack RF1, which I think we'll cover here in a second. And, uh, man, we did all kinds of awesome stuff with that in the evenings because at the end of the day... All of these signals are just coming to your computer as data, so that allows you to do things like record the data, play it back, do analysis later. Um, it completely changes the hobby. Yeah, it's so you just touched on one of my favorite things about SDRs is being able to record the data. A lot of people, um, you know, when you say that, a lot of the listeners, their first idea is going to be, well, man, I can hook my scanner and my radio up to my computer pull up Audacity or whatever audio recorder and just hit record and I can hear what I want to. But that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is you can record that entire two megahertz chunk. So let's say you have, um, you know, repeater inputs on, or let's say a perfect example, you're real big into two meter single sideband. And yeah, we all know the call frequency is 144.2 megahertz, but maybe 
you know, maybe you live in paradise and there's a lot of two meter single sideband traffic going on and you want to be able to see all of those. Well, you park your receiver on 144 megahertz and you're covered all the way up to 145. You're all the way out of the sideband range and you hit record and it'll save that to your computer as an IQ file. And later the software like SDR sharp and GQRX, you can replay that file and see all of the different signals so with your conventional scanner, um, you would set it up for single sideband. You'd set it to scan all these frequencies. And maybe someone's talking on, you know, 144.25. Well, you're not going to get the conversation that's going on on 144.2 and hear that Canada is calling all the way down to Texas. You're only going to get the conversation it stops on. With an SDR, you're recording everything that's happening right there, and you can play it back not even hooked up to an antenna or anything. It's a file that's saved on your computer. You can package that file up, email it off, and your buddy can sit there and play. But maybe somebody wanted to be a you know sneaky rascal and they wanted to throw out lower sideband. Well, with this, you can say, man, what is weird about that signal? You can zoom in and you'll see the suppressed carrier and you'll see that the signal is off to the left-hand side. And then you just reach over and click lower sideband and bam, you're, reco- you're decoding lower sideband two-meter um, conversations just you know that simply with a $20 dongle and free software and some free software which we'll come to the software here in a second so we we've kind of covered the the RTL SDR like the the bottom of the barrel entry level you know ubiquitous by 50 of them who cares what happens to them uh, tool for getting an SDR you know, I, I know I could go crazy and go to the, the far end of the spectrum in amateur gear and go spend $7,000 on a flex radio, and we'll get there. But what's kind of the next level up after the RTL SDR? You know, I bought into it, but I, I want something that has more capability and, and you know, more, more features. Yeah, and that's, that's a perfect question. You know, uh, if we keep on the Balfang analogy, the guy spent $30, he decided he liked it, but... Maybe he wants some different features. He wants a little, you know, more rigidity, something like that. The next step of group that you're going to have is really um, the $200 range. Um, it's I know that's quite a jump from 20 to 200, but the performance that you get is pretty impressive. So you have one device called the SDR Play, which is HF, VHF, and UHF. Uh, it's a great little device, and in fact, in recently, uh, HRO has started stocking them. So you can go into your local HRO store, pick one up off the shelf, and walk out. And I think it's right around 150 bucks. Now, the next one is probably my favorite. It's, it's my go-to. It's the one that I keep in my backpack. Um, I use it for all sorts of stuff, is the AirSpy. The AirSpy was developed by the creator of the SDR Sharp software, and he wanted a hardware device that would complement the software and had a whole bunch of features. And it's got tons of features built into it. Um, It's got a BIOS T that you can turn on. So if you have LNAs and stuff that you want to send some power down the coax, you can do that. It's got a reference in. So if you have, you know, a timed, a GPS time device, or you have a, you know, a temperature controlled clock you can plug that into it or if you have multiples you can plug them into each other and make them coherent uh something we can talk about in a later episode and you know it's a vhf to you high uhf device it's a really good device um and a lot of people were adding 
uh, up converters to them. And we'll, I'll talk about that as soon as I clear this. So the air spy creator decided, you know, he wanted a converter that was work with his project the way that he wanted it to work. So he created what's called the spy verter and it is absolutely amazing. It gives you the same 10 megahertz uh, bandwidth, but now you can shift it down to HF. So you can really, you know, spread that out and look at a wide spectrum of HF when you start talking about 10 megahertz. So I'm I'm looking at airspy.us right now and I see that there's actually a new like you said a new version of the airspy coming out in the week of May 4th and 199 and then the spy verter with that is 249 and that would effectively give you the spy verter allows the the airspy to do from 1 kilohertz to 60 megahertz. Um, what is the top end frequency range for the Air Spy? I want to say it's right around 2 uh, gigahertz. Might be um, a little bit less. I'm looking here. Oh, I take it back. It's actually, the, sorry, the, the Air Spy version 2 is available and shipping now. It's the combo kits with the spy verter that won't be available until the 4th. Yeah, and I And that I, might just be a uh that might just be like a um uh what do you call it like a a, a quantity or stocking thing. He yep. cuz they're they're out already. He might have been sold out. So um it's uh the base air spy R2 is 24 to 1800 megahertz. Yeah, so right under two. And wow, this is uh, that's that's actually pretty cool. All all this stuff that that comes with. You know, you mentioned up converters, and we just briefly, but let's talk about them because even on the RTL SDR side, there are up converters available from companies like Nuelec, um that allow you to use these VHF plus receivers down in the HF spectrum. Yeah, that, and that was something I definitely wanted to talk about uh, the. The big one um, that everyone knows, or that the SDR community knows of, is the Hammett Up converter, um, just like you would think it's called. And there's a few different versions. I think they're on version 1.3 right now, uh, but I wouldn't quote me. Version the I first version. I think that's right. Yeah, the first version. Um, it was okay, but the oscillator that they used wasn't, you know, it wasn't really the greatest, and it had a bunch of sporadic, uh, or not sporadic, but harmonics on it. Um, and it used a micro USB. It was either micro or mini USB, and that connector was pretty uh, prone to breaking. Uh, the version I have is version 1.2, and they used the full-size uh, B connector like you'd find on a printer. It was super rigid, um, and that all that... USB connector was doing was providing power. Um, it wasn't doing, it wasn't sending any data. And the way you would hook this up is you would have your antenna come in, you would run your antenna into the up converter. It would take, you know, say a 10 megahertz signal. It would multiply it, you know, X amount of times. And then it would put it into that frequency range that you could see on your SDR. So like Mine has a 125 megahertz oscillator in it. So if I was looking at a 10 megahertz signal, well, my RTL that only goes down to 24 megahertz couldn't see that. But if I added that 125 megahertz uh, mixer into it, now I'm looking at a 135 megahertz signal, which is well within the range and uh, sensitivity of my RTL. 
cool. So that's the Air Spy. What else is kind of in that, you know, less than $500 range? Yep. So you have the SDR Play is about 150 bucks. The Air Spy, which is either 200 or 250 depending on how you go with it. And then the Hack RF. But I'm hesitant to say the Hack RF, but then I want to scream Hack RF from the rooftops because it's a double-sided device. It's actually a full-on transceiver. Um, you can transmit with it. You can uh, receive with it. Now, it is uh, half-duplex, so you can't do both at the same time. But, you know, I say that, and the reason I'm hesitant is because people are going to think, oh, man, for $300, I can go buy a Hack RF, and now I've got a two-meter single-sideband handy-talkie. And that's not exactly the case. The power levels are, you know, really, really low. If you try to amp... Like 10 milliwatts. Yeah, and and that's dependent on frequency. Yep. Um, If you try to amplify it, you're going to need filters. You're going to need, you know, a bunch of stuff. And the creator of the Hack RF, Mike Osman, you and I met him at Dayton last year, and I cyber-stalked him at ShmooCon a couple years ago. Um, I've met him, you know, every time he's been in a conference that I'm at, I've gone up and we've talked and he's not only a really awesome guy, but he's a huge benefit to the, the hobby, the SDR type hobby. He's written a lot of software. If you go to his website, great Scott gadgets, he's got some, um, tutorials on there for a piece of software called good new radio. He's always given talks at, you know, conventions and stuff like he's a, a awesome developer, creator, hacker, radio enthusiast. Yeah, in fact, actually, we interviewed him last year for Time in our Dayton special. That's right. I completely forgot about yep. that. Yeah, but we had to stalk him to do it because he wasn't at the Tapper booth very much. Right, and and the reason is, is you know, when you get into the SDR side of things, he has a huge following of people that are always um, pretty much stalking him. Um, when we were standing there at the booth, there wasn't a minute that went by that somebody wasn't up there talking to him. Now, the one things we didn't mention about the Hack RF are its frequency range is published at 1 megahertz to 6 gigahertz. And do you remember what its simultaneous bandwidth was? Uh, so, once again, it depends, but um, I, th- it, I think it'll go up to 20 megahertz. Um, yeah, I see, up to 20 million samples per second, yes. Right. Now, again, so the reason I... This kind of comes back. You know, with the Air Spy, it says 10. You're going to get 10. Uh, the RTL, it says 2. Probably get 1.8, kind of depending. And the reason I start throwing in, you know, the wells is because a lot of it is, you know, also going to be based on your computer, what your uh, USB ports, um, whether or not, not necessarily if they're 3.0 or 2.0, because all the devices we've talked about so far are just USB 2.0, mm-hmm. but what the actual controller is, because... You know, right there, you just said 20 uh, mega samples a second. So we were talking 20 million ones or zeros a second are going into your computer. And, um, you know, a lot of the netbooks and stuff that are using low-powered processors, their USB controllers were never designed to handle that kind of speed and traffic. They were designed for mice and keyboards. Exactly. So, um, you know... If you're wanting to use a Raspberry Pi, you're probably not going to get 20 mega samples a second, depending on how you're processing the data. Um, but yeah, you'll you'll get 10 megahertz, no problem. You'll get 20 megahertz with a good um, USB controller. And if you go to the Osmocom website, which we'll we'll put in the show links, they have a listing of what the you know most recommended USB controllers are. All right, so 
that kind of covers us in the most popular. And one thing I'll add is that, so the, uh, the RTL is designed for another purpose that we're using for awesome purposes, uh, in amateur radio. The air spy was designed specifically to be a software defined receiver and the hack RF one was really designed to be a hacker's tool to be able to give you access to be able to play around with uh, both receiving and transmitting. So technically they, you know, they're all software defined radios, but they all have three, you know, kind of different purposes. So, I think that anything else sub $500 that's worth mentioning. Um, I mean, there, there are tapper. We've, we've said tapper, the Tucson area packet radio. Is it, that's what tapper stands for. Correct. Uh, I will look you go on. Well, so tapper has a whole line of, um, devices that fit into the category of SDRs. The only reason I'm not mentioning them in the beginning, you know, down and dirty SDR is because I think they're kind of out of the reach for your, you know, intro level SDR. Um, they're a little more complex, but they are powerful and they're great looking devices. So if somebody is already playing around with uh, RTLs or air spies or something, I would go to the Tapper website and take a look at their uh, project because they've got some good stuff that's in that mid price range. And, you know, I'll, I'll say that a lot of this stuff, um, is kind of next level stuff. You know, it, not as much of it is, uh, out of the box and ready to play and plug and play in software. Um, you know, we'll just automatically work for it, but we, uh, you know, in future shows, as we bring other folks uh, from the SDR community in, like, I'm sure we will dig into that stuff. All right, so this segment has gone long, and we're not even done with hardware. So when we come back, let's take a moment to kind of talk about the more popular, uh, starting to get into the over $1,000 um, computer-attached uh, commercial software-defined radios for amateur use. Sound good? Sounds like a plan. All right, we'll be back. So the entire amateur radio community is excited about what may come forth from Kenwood in a few weeks at Dayton Hamvention 2016. But until then, if you're interested in some Kenwood gear, let me tell you, you need to check out mtcradio.com. They carry the entire Kenwood amateur radio line as well as the repackaged units. Now, I can speak from experience because I buy the Kenwood repackaged stuff and have had great service, no problems at all. You can't tell that it's not brand new in the box because... It's brand new in a box. If you need some Kenwood gear from top to bottom, check out mtcradio.com. All right. I'm back with Gerald KF5, Just Not Unique, JNU here. We're talking about software-defined radios, uh, kind of an overview and, and everything you'd want to know to have words to start Googling at the very least uh, to get started. So we just covered kind of the more popular options out there for SDRs in the sub $500 category. There's several we didn't cover like the rock might, or um, there's a company out there. I think it was like SDR IQ was an early one. Um, the fun cube dongle, the, the soft fun. rocks. Yep. So there's a, there's a lot of those out there. Then even older, there's things like the Hermes and the Apollo. Um, we haven't really dug into that as much kind of focusing on the ones that are commercially available today that have really good support communities, um, or are fairly popular. So we've kind of covered more the receive only or the hackers tools. Now, as we start to get into the over $1,000 range on the hardware side, um, we're now starting to get into some companies that actually build equipment specifically for the amateur community. 
Yeah, and I, I think, um, you know, because SDR isn't a new concept. It's not, as hams, we're not, you know, like, oh, man, we've got a lowdown on some new high-speed technology. SDR has been around in the commercial world for uh, quite a while. Um, it's pretty prevalent in a lot of, you know, the microwave stuff, uh, cellular stuff, stuff like that. It's just now that we're starting to get devices that we can play with as a hobby uh, to make it popular. So a lot of the companies uh, that make this hiring uh, amateur radio stuff are also making commercial stuff on the side. And, you know, the hiring stuff is one of those things where, you know, if we say the Flex 6700, we're going to tell you it's over $6,000. And a lot of guys are going to, they're going to tune out right there. And, you know, some people will never justify that much. And then I personally know at least three people that have justified it. Yep. So it's, it's one of those things, you know, it's kind of what you're into. I, you know, was kind of like SDR sharp. I was, there's no way I would pay that kind of money for um, a radio. And then a friend of ours bought one and I saw it in action and I was blown away. I still haven't bought one, but <laughs> I could understand why he did. Now, before we get up to the the ultimate almighty sixty seven hundred, um, there are some QRP radios available in for SDRs. Yep, the I think probably the most notable is the uh, Eland um, Duo FM Duo, or it's an Italian made little desktop QRP transceiver that you can plug it into your computer and take full advantage of the SDR side and put it into software. Or, you know, you can just set it up on your desk and tune around. Um, it going price is fifteen, seventeen hundred on those. Um, and I think they're totally worth it. Yep. So the company is uh, ELED Echo Lima Alpha Delta. And they were actually at Dayton last year, although I didn't get a chance to talk to them. And I know several people have asked us to stop by and speak with them this year. Um, I don't have a U.S. price, but it's about 1,100 euros. Um, so probably by the time you get it imported, you're probably right about looking at $1,500. Um, some of the other options, Flex makes still makes the Flex 1,500, do they not? Uh if they don't, they're pretty prevalent on uh, eHam and QRZ and uh, other swap sites. And so the Flex 1500 starts you off at uh, below $700. And it's an HF radio, 5 watts, um, covers 160 to 6 meters, and 10 megahertz. No, that's for the clock. I actually don't remember how wide their bandwidth is. I. I want to say it's probably the 192 kilohertz, um, but don't quote me on that because I can't remember exactly how they're getting it into the computer. Um, a lot of guys didn't like the early flex stuff um, because at the time it had a lot of issues with uh, CW keying. And from what I've heard, that's all straightened out and it's good to go. And, um, you know, it's a CW's dream, but that's kind of, you know, in, in reading through forums and other stuff, you'll find a lot of negativity towards uh, different radios like you will anything. But that was one of the big anti-things against the Flex 1500 when it first came out. Yep. Um, but that is an option to get started with at, uh, you know, below the $1,000. Now, the other 
popular major manufacturer, I would say, is Anin. Yeah, Anin, Anin. Um, you know, I've met him at Dayton uh, the last two years, and I still don't know how to pronounce it. Oh, I, I, well, okay. So their the company's name is Apache Labs. The radio is called the Anin. Okay, if you say it's Anin, I'll go with you. Or, well, okay, it could be Anin. We'll get that clarified. <laughs> <laughs> I slur my A's. Um, but, yeah, it's you know they make a few different models. When I first saw them, they had two models: uh, a QRP and a hundred watt radio. Um, now they have a few different. They've um, uh, you know they've got different uh, A to C's in there. Whether it's fourteen bit or I think their high ones use like twenty four bit. Well, in, uh, in the in the QRP radio, it's it's fourteen or sixteen. Fourteen now, or sixteen. Why yeah. why would somebody care about what uh, what the bit depth of the processor is? Um, it's just going to be that resolution and the, the better, the data that you're getting out of the radio into your computer to process. Yeah. So, and, and also it, it ends up, you wind up having, uh, the capability of having better signal to noise ratio. And, you know, like you said, more resolution generally also means lower input noise. Um, right. And, and one, one way of thinking of this is when you send a, when you're sending a sample, you're not sent the way you think of it is I'm sending a sample from one to two. I'm not sending, or let's say one to three. I'm not sending actual two. So the way that I find out what the value for two is, is I average one and three and oh, okay, there it is. But now if I sent you a signal at one, at one and a half, and at three, or one, one and a half, two, two and a half, and three, that average is going to be much smoother. And that's what you get with the higher bit rates, the higher sampling rates, and um, so on. So the Anin 10, which is that QRP radio, um, its output is about 15 to 20 watts, depending on the band, uh, 8 to 10 watts on 6 meters. But what's a really cool function about this radio, uh, so it's, again, about $1,000. But, you know, earlier we were talking about instantaneous or simultaneous bandwidth. So if I have a radio of 4 megahertz of of instantaneous bandwidth, I can look at the entire two meter spectrum all at once. Now the Anin 10 does not have that high of a bandwidth number, but they do start to introduce the concept of split receivers. Do you want to talk about that function a little bit? Yeah. And that's, that's something that was, you know, it used to just be, you had one, one receiver looking at one chunk of bandwidth and, you could split it up, but only at what you were looking at. Well, now they're putting multiple receivers so that you can look at different bands. So, um, you know, say you're, you're doing your HF contest and you're running, you know, your contest on 40 meters. Well, you can have a whole nother receiver up looking at 20 meters, given, you know, your antenna situation. And if 40 meters goes low, well, you're monitoring 20 meters that entire time and switching over given your antenna situation is just a click of the mouse. And now you're on 20 meters talking away and you're still seeing 40 meters, but you're on uh, 20 meters. And you can do that depending on how many different receivers that it has. And basically that's, that's one of the biggest, um, you know, when we talk about the six, $7,000 flex 6,700, one of the biggest features it has is it has the ability. I don't remember how much bandwidth it is. Do you, I want to say it's six. Yeah, but six it, different receivers. Six different receivers, but you basically have the ability to watch six complete HF bands at the same time. 
Um, and those receiver slices, uh, I think is what flex calls them is, uh, you know, where the money goes up. So as basically as your, your money, as the price of these things go up, the capabilities you're getting are, you know, effectively lower noise sampling in the, uh, processors in the boxes, the ability to have multiple slices so you can look at different parts of the received spectrum at the same time. Um, and then more bandwidth overall. So you can look at larger slices of bandwidth at the same time. Yep. So I'll, I'm, I'm going to, um, you know, since this is kind of more of an introduction show and, uh, hopefully we'll actually have some interview material from flex and Apache labs from, uh, Dayton. Um, kind of hurrying us through the end of it or, or the higher end stuff. Like we just covered what more money gets you and both Apache labs and um, flex offer various levels of radios that as you go up in price, they add a uh, hundred watt uh, transmitter and then they offer more bandwidth and more slices. Yeah. And the one, the one thing I want to say about flex is um, they're a hardware and software manufacturer. So if you go out and buy a flex radio, you're going to get power at, you know, one of the 3000 and up series, not $3,000, but the 3000 series up, you'll get the power SDR software, which completely works with flex. You plug it in, everything works. You're on the road. So, you know, that's something to consider if you're not a real computer savvy type person. Now that's a great segue because we've really covered a lot of these hardware stuff, spent a lot of time on the lower end and the more affordable end. Um, you know, and earlier you referenced a lot of different great free or open source software packages, but at the end of the day, you can have the greatest receiver in the world, but if you don't have software that's useful or intuitive or powerful, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the first part of the name is software defined radio. So let's talk about, you know, a lot of these packages are implemented differently, but they all have some common features. What are what are some of the common features I'm going to find in a, a software-defined radio software package? So you're going to, you know, and even that's such a wide topic, and that's the, that's the problem with this between talking from different hardware to different software. You know, it's so wide. Um, the first thing that you're going to want to do when you fire it up is you're going to want to find some sort of, uh, wide bandwidth or full bandwidth spectrum viewing tool. If you've ever used a spectrum analyzer or anything like that, you'll kind of have an idea of what the um, interface looks like. It's you know got a FFT or a waterfall going on, and, and you're going to have. Let's, let's take one second because if you've never seen a waterfall, what a waterfall is is basically um, like like Gerald said, a, a fast Fourier transform display, and below that real time you know, amplitude visualization, there is a field that, you know, generally ranges in color from black all the way to red. And as the amplitude is higher, the signal as it's drawn in the lines go from the black blue side up into the red. And it basically, it's called a waterfall because it's constantly falling down in the sense that the history of what that signal has done is present in a linear fashion. And we will definitely make sure we have some links uh, to some YouTube videos of waterfalls because I don't think I'm doing a great job of explaining it. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a visual representation. Um, if I'm sitting there with a radio and I'm just keying, unkeying, keying, unkeying, you'll see that in the center there's a very bright color. And once again, it's software. So you can make that bright color green, you can make it orange, you can make it red. But yeah, most commonly it's going to be red. Um, and when I unkey, that'll go away and you'll just see yellow. 
uh, when I key up, it'll come back to red. Now, if I hold down the key, that you know, signal will just be red. And the difference between the FFT um, display and a waterfall is, you know, when I let off the key, it's still falling down in that waterfall, and you have kind of a histor- historical view of a signal was present in this area. You can click on that waterfall, and it'll tune the receiver there. I think probably one of the um, – maybe this will help the most, but if you are down in HF – and you are tuned to the portion of 20 meters or 40 meters where CW is going on, you can actually read the CW characters in the waterfall without hearing it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good example. All right, so I'm going to have some type of visual spectral display showing me my bandwidth and the signals that are happening there. What is What are some other common features I'm going to find in pretty much any one of these packages? What about how, how can I listen to, to the signals? All right, so you'll have... Well, first, you'll have, you know, usually some sort of VFO-looking device. Usually it's, um, you know, a, a digital-type display. You're not going to see, like, a knob display, but you could. But it's going to be, you know, a digital-type display. You can go up there and click it around for your frequency. Um, and what that's doing is that's tuning the center frequency of the radio. So earlier when I said if you tune your radio to 145 megahertz, you can uh, see 144 and 146 with an RTL. That's what that frequency is setting. Now, when you see a signal pop up in that area, you'll click on it, and you'll see a in another part of the program, you'll see what your demodulated signal is. Um, that demodulated signal in our example might be, you know, 145.5. And once you get that, then you can start, you know, looking at how you want to demodulate it do you want to use fm am do you want to do sideband um you know another cool thing with these devices and i it's always kind of my fallback is i tune it down into the fm broadcast band select you know a wideband fm stereo demodulator start demodulating and all of these software packages have a um rds decoder built in so if you're in your car and you see you know the name of the song or the radio station that's playing all of the software can pick that out. And in fact, if you zoom in on the signal, you can actually see where that data is being encoded in the audio. Um, so you'll see a giant peak, you'll see a couple um, modulating signals off of it, and you can see that little data signal in there. So, you know, you'll have different options for that if you want, you know, to see RDS, if you want to do AM. Um, and that's kind of your demodulated space. And then usually you'll have a window that displays the audio frequency out. So once you have that signal demodulated, it'll be uh, another type of spectral graph that shows the audio actually coming out of that signal. That's awesome. And of course, along with that, these packages are going to have all of, you know, on, on a on an, a ham radio, we're used to our noise blankers and our passband tuning and our filters. And I, I think it's safe to say, all if you know all these packages have that functionality. Oh yeah, yeah. You've got um, LNAs and noise blankers, the whole nine yards. Because all that stuff is doing is just applying some sort of process to the signal. Um, and here, instead of doing it, you know, through circuitry or um, microprocessors on the radio, we're just doing it in software on the computer. Sorry, I thought I was muted. Yes, and, and the cool thing about that is is that the software filters are really good. 
Yeah, and you can, um, you know, you can pull your filter out if you're listening to, you know, a single sideband HFQ. So you can set it at two. You can set it two point five kilohertz. You can set it at three kilohertz. Maybe it's some guys running ESSB. You can set it four, four, five kilohertz. You can set it whatever you want because it doesn't care. It's just going to apply apply the mathematical process on whatever signal you tell it to. So, what are some other? You know, that that's how I I see my signal. How I decode and manipulate the audio of my signal. What are some other common features I'm going to find in these packages? Well, so. Those, you know, your SDR Sharp, your GQRX, SDR Console, those are going to be um, signal discovery type tools. They're going to be able to show you the bandwidth. You're going to be able to see a signal, click on a signal, apply a couple demodulators to it, find out, you know, what kind of modulation it is. And then you can use another type of program to start, you know, and if you're just wanting to listen to AM, FM, you know, that's fine. But there's a whole number of other programs that if you want to get into, we can talk about of what to do once you've discovered that signal. Yeah, and I, I think that'll be um, beyond the, the scope of today's episode, but I, I would love to come back and talk about that. Because, for instance, uh, one of the things that we had our HackRFs doing last year after Dayton was decoding D-Star. Yep, D-Star, um, ADSB off of aircraft, AIS off of ships, uh, you know, if you've in fact, I remember at your house, one of the biggest things in the face that you made when we started decoding um, P25 with your Hack RF. Yeah, and I also remember I about had a heart attack when we keyed up a 5-watt radio within like 3 inches of that tiny little receiver. <laughs> yeah, but it still works. Yeah, it still works. It's fine. <laughs> Rub some dirt on it. All right, and, and so to kind of remind us again, what were those software packages again, you know, the, the windows one, the Linux one and the, the Mac OS one. And we'll make sure of course, to have links to all of those in the show notes. Yeah. So the, um, the go-to is going to be SDR sharp, uh, SDR with, you know, the sharp, if you're a music person, uh, the pound sign, if you're SDR hashtag, if you're under the age of, if you're a millennial, I was getting to that part. Um, but yeah, so SDR sharp is the go-to, if you go to the airspy.us web, uh, website, he'll have you know a download link and all sorts of stuff. You can go onto YouTube, find all sorts of information on it. Um, it's hugely supported. After that, my second go-to is GQRX. It's cross-platform. You can use it Windows, Linux, Mac. Um, works great, and it's awesome for signal discovery. And then if you're really into HF and you think you're just going to be mostly messing with HF, I would definitely take a look at SDR console. Um, it's a great tool for HF signals. Now, one other piece of software I want to mention, which is Linux, which is one that you showed me and I thought it was super cool is that there's even a command line utility that lets me tune one of these receivers and decode audio. Yeah. Um, in fact, on Linux, there's a number of them for just about any of the libraries. Uh, with the RTL, it's, you know, if you're a Linux person, you install it with your package manager and then you do RTL underscore FM. Uh, you do a switch tech F for your frequency, put your frequency in, you know, whatever your modulation is. And then it just starts sending you, you know, data. You can either pipe it into uh, a play and play it out your speakers. You can pipe it into a program like Multimon and decode pager messages or APRS, you know, you can do all sorts of stuff, and you never need to open a window. 
Well, awesome. I think um, that'll kind of cover it for the computer-connected uh, interface boxes or SDRs and kind of a, a very, very high-level introduction to the software. Again, uh, a lot of YouTube videos out there on these topics, and we'll make sure to have links because, uh, honestly, talking about it, you're like, yeah, maybe I get it. But the minute you see this, and like I said, the first time that you actually start reading CW out of the waterfall, like it just it just clicks. Um, so when we come back, we'll kind of shift focus from the computer-connected stuff, talk a little bit more about the standalone um, SDRs, because this is an area where I expect there to be uh, a lot of new uh, products coming out. I mean, ICOM actually has a radio that's very hot right now that is a standalone radio, and we'll talk about it when we come back. Yeah, so, you know, the ham fest schedule is wide open i mean it seems like there's two or three every weekend that everybody wants to go to this time of year so be on the lookout for b-o-l-o for our friends tim and ron from bridgecomsystems.com they're hitting the big ones they're hitting the small ones but most importantly they're there to connect you with their 220 megahertz amateur radio gear if it's a repeater handy talkie if it's a mobile they've got you covered check them out at bridgecomsystems.com today all right, folks, it's Jeremy KF7IJZ back with Gerald KF5JNU. We've talked about the computer interface boxes. We've talked a little bit about software. We've gone on and on and on and on about how the RTL SDR dongle is the best $25 you can spend. And uh, I actually I feel kind of bad because we are literally just scratching the surface uh, with all this. And we don't, we're going over more time than we had allotted. Um, but we're still not even getting close. And that's why there's going to be a series of these episodes. So as you know, we go into the last segment here, I wanted to, uh, I saw a piece of, I guess, news that I thought was really cool. Um, so ICOM's IC 7,300, which is the, I think I'm going to be safe in calling it the first software defined amateur radio product from the big three. You agree, yeah. You agree I, with that? Yeah, I, I think it's the first, you know, breaking the barrier type radio. Um, I mean, and some radios had IQ outputs available to them, but I mean, I don't, I, I, I'm pretty sure like the Yaesu FT3000DX doesn't, or FTDX3000 doesn't have um, like a direct conversion receiver in it or anything. You know, I know it has like the ability to output IQ data, which um, we'll deeper dive into a future episode, but that's the type of like radio signal data that a com- the computer is manipulating and, and calculating on. Um, but the IC7300, when it was announced, it's amazing because they, they have the screen, they have all the knobs, they have the classic filtering and noise blanking and DSP you know, noise reduction and all the features that amateurs have come to expect from their ICOM radios. Um, but it's, it's a software-defined radio. Yeah, and you know, it's, the thing that I like about it, and as a you know, recent ICOM guy, is their approach to it. You know, they knew that they wanted an SDR and they wanted all the performance, but they also wanted to appeal to the conventional radio guys who still wanted to have access to, you know, their uh, receiving tune controls, their noise blanker controls and all that. But they didn't just stick an SDR in a box. Even with the display, um, and ICOM's always been known for their displays, they incorporated a lot of the common uh, SDR GUI features that you'll find on a computer with like SDR Sharp and stuff, they have it in there. You can tune around, you see the uh, waterfall, you see the spectrum, 
Um, you've got touchscreen controls. It's, you know, it's really a, I don't want to say game changer because I think that word gets overused, but I think it's an advancement has in it, what we're going to see is radios. It, can, can I say it's never been done before? Never been done before. I don't know. I don't think either of you or I are French Creole enough to be saying that. <laughs> no, it's um, it's it's actually really cool. But the reason I'm I'm leading with this topic, even though it's not our favorite uh, SDR, do you want to hear something amazing? What is that? Blow my socks off. So, are you familiar with the Sherwood Engineering receiver test list? Yep. So I'm I'm not going to get into the debate about whether or not this is really the best way of of measuring receiver performance because yeah it's like cronying a, a a pistol or a rifle you know yeah I mean is that the best test no but it gives you some very good data to go off of to make your purchase and you know for a while the KX3 used to be the second best radio on the list and since then it's now down at one two three four five six but. They just added the 7300 to the Sherwood list. And do you know what spot it came in at? Mm, Don't look at it. Two or three. No, no. I'm no. not looking it up. Not, not that good. Because the, oh, radi- okay. the radios there in the top three are all, you know, four or five, ten thousand. Well, yeah. It, what's the German one that's always at the top? The Hilberling. But actually, even the Hilberling is number five below the, uh, the ICOM 7851 and the K3S. Uh, no you know, way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, the Flex Radio 6700 is at the top of the list, but that's not what we're talking about. The exciting thing is, is the 7300 is number 12. Wow. So it's, what, I mean, that's, what's its going price? What's its street price right now? It's street price because it's still a new radio. It's 1495 and I expect that we're going to see some deals on that at Dayton. But, so the Darling... And what's the street price on a K3S? Uh, well, I mean, that's harder because it depends on what filters you want. I think for the hundred watt version, you're probably at about 2000, but then you have a lot more expandability. I I don't think it's fair to compare the 7300 to a K3S because they're the K3S is, um, it is more modular. It's designed to grow as you grow. The 7300 is an appliance that you're meant to grab, throw in a box or what, or set on your desk and you're done. But the reason this is so amazing is that so the darling of, of Dayton for the last two years, as far as the good deals available and the best you know uh, performance for the money, was the Kenwood TS five ninety SG. Yeah, yeah, that's so many guys have gotten into it. It's a great radio with built in sound card, built in USB rig control. Um, it's been a huge, and I don't think I've heard anyone that hasn't been you know a fan of the receiver. And. Now you're looking at the 7300 has pushed it down. You know, the, the first mode of the SG is now in spot 14. And so you have a radio in about the same price range. But as much as I love Kenwood, I, and I myself have kind of become an ICOM fanboy over the last several years, despite the fact I've had some issues with them. I've called them out for Dayton. I don't understand why 1,000 is still a limit in the year 2016 for anything, but besides the point. But they're now going, I think they're going to start eating Kenwood's lunch on this. Because which radio would you rather have? That nice big LCD with the choice of two backlights or a waterfall that gives you 200 kilohertz of spectrum, the ability to touch and zoom and, you know, do audio analysis and have a waterfall and even do RIDI decoding. Which radio would you choose? Yeah, well, I mean, if you just, if you were to put it in front of, you know, a non-ham, you know, take it to work and set it on the desk and show people 
you know, given that performance is exactly the same, everything's the exact same, they're going to choose the icon because, you know, the display is, like you said, it's 2016. You know, why do we still have, you know, LCD colored, you know, green or orange? Like, how are those the only two options that we have? You know, seeing the different signal strengths, being able to um, see, you know, have a color change for a different setting that you're in, like, that's a, a big thing. And it, you know, is it that bad? Like, you know, people were operating Drake's without any color display, but their displays have made such a big difference. Um, being able to touch um, and make changes, being able to see what you're manipulating with your knobs is a huge, huge benefit. So even if performance is the same, just the display on the icons enough to make me uh, choose it. Oh yeah, and and you know you're a recent 7100 owner, and I've had one since the first batch that landed in America, and you know I did a video on them on it on my YouTube channel. It was kind of a a, um, a tour through the touchscreen. I didn't read the manual beforehand. That's how intuitive it was. Yep, uh, and, um, Amateur Logic did a video, and uh, Ray Novak set it, set down a 7100 in front of him and said, "Change the frequency to the 15 meter band, yep, or the 21 meter band." And they just started changing frequencies. You know, he said, all right, now put it at 18 megahertz. And they did it. And the same thing with me. I plugged it in and I said, man, I really wish I could change, find where the button is to change the mode on here. And then there's USB at the top. And I said, well, let me touch this. Touched it and it yep. pops up all your different demodulators. I mean, it was amazing. So I, I know we kind of gotten a little bit down this, this ICOM 7300 road, but I'm going to be honest. I've been waiting for this number to pop out because I, I, I've always been there. Like for the last five years, whenever Icom releases a new product that's not one of their stupid, ridiculous two, three, seven, fifteen thousand dollar radios, um, I've always been for. I mean, you've known you, 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 and several other of our friends have given me a lot of crap. I was, you know, one of the first piece people to own a fifty one hundred. Um, but, you know, I, I was waiting on this one because it's a new technology. It's the first time they've done anything like this. And if they're scoring number 12 on the Sherwood list for 1500 bucks on their first try, I mean, I think I might be bringing one home from Dayton. You need me to call the missus and explain it to her? Well, we already had. We worked out an arrangement. I um, <laughs> I get to buy a radio and but I'm sleeping on the couch for like six months. That's okay though. It's all right. Your couch isn't that bad. No, it's not. Um, so, I mean, we've spent all that time on the, on the 7,300 and, and it's, it's new. It's exciting. It's going to be one of the things that's going to sell out, you know, every vendor, uh, I, I bet you MTC doesn't go home with any 7,300s. Um, no. I know Richard the, will be a very happy man. Yes. And I know the icon booth will be, um, absolutely flooded. I'm going to try to get in there for an interview, but let's not, denigrate our old standby our other hardware sdr the elecraft kx3 yeah it's uh you know and that's a lot of guys are going to look at the 7300 and then they're going to pull up a picture of a kx3 and they're going to shake their heads at I, I don't get it but the we've said it a couple times now i and q um that's the data that you're wanting to get off of it and the easiest way to do that you know you've got to have an analog to digital converter so it's coming off of that radio in analog format when well, we got to put it into our computer digitally. And the best, easiest way to do that is with a sound card. So if you, when, you know, the listeners are looking up a lot of these specs, a lot of the times they'll see either 192 kilohertz 
or you know people just round it up to 200 kilohertz of bandwidth and as an audio guy do you want to explain that jeremy or you want to say why that is actually my headphones cut out so i heard something about bandwidth i'm sorry <laughs> the uh so i just called you an audio guy too <laughs> well that's i seriously like i bumped something and the the jack for my headphones apparently is loose and i lost audio so why is it that you know if i'm taking iq data out of my kx3 why is 192 kilohertz a limiting factor? What what device is going to limit me at 192 kilohertz? Well, primarily the analog to digital converter and the sound card. I mean, first of all, the 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 amount of bandwidth that comes out of the KX3 is set at 192 kilohertz um, based on the technology they're using in the radio. And this really isn't different than like the Apache Labs on Inten we were talking about, which its bandwidth is 384. Um, when you're buying consumer or even professional uh, sound cards, they, they are going to have a conversion rate. Um, you know, a CD is 44.1 kilohertz. Common audio is now done at 48 kilohertz. Um, 96 is, is, you know, considered to be really high end. But 192 is where you're starting to get into kind of professional realm. And the more bit depth that your sound card has, the more of that spectrum you're going to see. If you... Um, one of the really popular sound cards to do this with previously, which the requirement is that it has a, a way of getting a stereo input, preferably a single tip ring sleeve stereo mic. But one of the first sound cards that did this was the Griffin um, iMic, which was a 48 kilohertz sound card uh, that was actually manufactured for plugging into your iPad. Um, but when you plug it in, you only saw 48 uh, kilohertz of bandwidth. So that's why that bit depth... Um, or sorry, that sampling rate is really important on the sound card. The wider the sampling rate, the more bandwidth you're going to see up to 192 because the KX3 actually doesn't make any more than 192. Yep. And that's, you know, you explained it a lot better than I would, I would have said, cause that's all you can buy on Amazon. <laughs> no, I mean like on the, on the professional audio, um, front, you can buy, uh, sound cards that'll do up to 384 kilohertz, um, I don't. I, I personally haven't seen anything beyond that, but I know that those are out there. In fact, there are some people who use those and turn them into uh, ELF or VLF receivers. Oh wow! Yeah, actually, it I was. Uh, read into that. It was uh, our our buddy uh, Kevin that is the one who introduced me to that concept. Hmm. Well, hopefully, in the uh, upcoming months, I'll be able to send you one of my eval boards that gets over this. Uh, uh, hundred not over the 192 limit, but it makes it easier for hams to uh, use this because right now that's kind of, you know, when we talked about the soft rock and stuff, that's one of those devices. And with the KX3, that's, you know, a big thing is um, I've got a Griffin iMic and it works great, but it only gives me 48 kilohertz. And, uh, you know, that's all right, but I really want that 192. And there's just not too many USB sound cards out there that have stereo input that can sample that high. And that's that's one of the things, if you're looking, a lot of these cheap $7, $10, $15 sound cards that claim to have high bit rates, um, on Amazon, you got to make sure they have a stereo input, a, a tip ring sleeve input. A lot of them just have a mono-channel mic input, and that will only give you the I data or the Q data, but you need both. Yeah, and uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the PCI Sound Blaster for like a desktop, that's not hard at all to come up with, right? No, um... But one of the things to be wary of, 
is granted. I don't know if it has a stereo line input uh, connector where it's a tip ring sleeve connector or if it's, it has two independent, um, maybe quarter inch or RCA inputs. When you split the uh, those signals off of the cable coming out of the radio, you have the possibility of introducing a lot of interference. Um, in fact, that's actually, if you have a KX3, there's a kit of, or there's a um, an accessory called the PX3, which the PX3 is effectively that sound card attached to a little four inch LCD. So I can take my waterfall with me. Uh, it's a really awesome accessory. I really enjoy mine, but the, the cable is kept as short as possible. The connectors are kept together in order to minimize interference because it is such a sensitive, um, you know, a sensitive sound card inside that box. Yeah. So, and that's the thing, you know, I think, uh, you said there, take it with you. I think a lot of the stuff, you know, not just the capability of being able to have all this F- SDR, you know, capabilities to go with you, but to physically be able to take it with you and put it in your car or go backpacking in a park or something like that. Yeah, because, you know, you can take a, a Raspberry Pi with the, like, official 7-inch LCD or one of the 4- or 3-inch LCDs. You can plug an RTL SDR into it, get it to maybe, you know, because the, the USB is very slow on a Raspberry Pi. Maybe get it to show you a, mega, a megahertz worth of bandwidth. You can build that together, 3D print a case for it, and have something that's portable, but it's a fairly brittle solution. So, you know, these commercial integrated radios are, are really good options um, if you want to be able to have something that is, uh, you know, sturdy and portable. Now, we've And they're of, going to transmit, which is... That's kind of key if you're an amateur, right? You want it to do <laughs> if more you're than just to listen. If you are an amateur shortwave listener, by all means, you know... Do, do the rest of, uh, you know, go the RTL route. Now, are there any other radios uh, off the top of your head that are commercial amateur gear that are basically SDRs inside of a case with knobs? Um, no, nothing prevalent. I mean, we talked about the KX3, the 7300, um, that uh, ELAN. ELAD, um, yeah. ELAD. Now, the only other radio that comes to mind, but it's receive only, is there's a company out of Colorado called Com Radio. They make a radio called the CR1, which covers HF, VHF, and UHF up to like 470, 480 megahertz. It does not cover six meters, most likely because that's where there's an IF somewhere in the chain. But it's a standalone, um, you know, receiver. But it, you know, there's no transmission. But you can also plug it in and get a a the 192 bit uh, or 192 kilobit data out of it to run in any of the SDR programs we mentioned earlier to get your waterfall. That's right. And didn't HRO stock those for a while, didn't they? Yeah, they, I think they still do. Um, yeah. They sell. I I will admit though, for what it is, it's like 600 bucks. Um, and if it did six meters and did all the way up to it, you know, like 1.2 or 1.3 gigahertz, maybe it's worth that. Um, but that's, you know, it's, it's cool. It's not $600 cool. Like a Dayton, they usually sell for about 500. Yeah. That's, I don't know for a receiver. Um, well, I guess the fact that it's packaged in a box, you know, that's kind of what this topic's about is packaging it. Um, I mean, and and that's, that's small. And it's like you're saying with the cables, you know, there's a lot of stuff to go wrong if you're trying to package, you know, an RTL with a Raspberry Pi. Uh, not all, now you have two individual devices that can break, and you have the cabling and stuff in between that can break or, you know, get signal leak. Um, signal leak. Uh, so, yeah, there, there is a lot of 
issues that come along with trying to build your own. So maybe, you know, five, six hundred dollars, we really stop and start thinking about what you're getting and the performance because, you know, that that's going to outperform an RTL. That's not a twenty dollar receiver no, stuck in a box with an LCD. No, you know, so you're looking at least air spy level and that there's 200 bucks alone. And, and I mean, the other cool thing about it is that it has a built-in lithium battery. It's rechargeable. It has a built-in speaker. Um, I actually, if I remember correctly, I think it even comes with a little telescoping BNC antenna. Um, you know, I, I do have a ham friend, KJ four FUU who bought one and, um, we were actually, he bought it at Dayton, I think two years ago. And then he didn't use it for the first year, if I remember correctly. And we were emailing back and forth uh, after the scanner episode. And I asked him, I said, what did you ever do with it? And he didn't respond. I need to follow up with him and see um, if he ever used it and what he thought of it. Yeah, I don't think I've met anybody that's using one yet. Well, that may be part of the reason why they haven't come out with a new product in like four or five years. Which is sad, because I'd love to see more people take that approach and package uh, all this stuff together into a good product. Now, you know... I, I think that's probably a pretty good jumping off point. I will say that the number of SDR vendors uh, at Dayton last year is increasing. Elad was a company that nobody had really heard of. Um, they were located right next to Regal um, in the booth behind Yesu last year. I myself, I feel bad. I should have stopped and tried to talk to them um, you know, because there were ample opportunities, people would stop by and thought their stuff was cool. But I, I think that they are really gaining momentum in the U S this year. Um, I fully expected there to be two or three more SDR companies that we've never heard of. And the other cool thing is that, uh, you know, it's Dayton, it's new radio announcement season. We know ICOM was the first one. So they, they've set table stakes for what the, the packaged, self-contained software-defined radio experiences for the for the other manufacturers um at least the other the other uh japanese big three manufacturers um you know actually i just realized alinko makes an hf radio they do that has now it's it's it has basically iq output i don't know that i would call it a true sdr like i don't think it's a direct conversion receiver but they do make a radio that gives you um you know, HF uh, spectrum output over a USB port. But they're also, you know, two years into the game. Yeah. Or two years before everyone else. Do you remember the name? See, but that's one of the difference between the ICOM. The ICOM actually has, you know, it's, it's direct conversion technology and it actually has like 15 different, uh, you know, band pass filters in it for each of the HF bands. Um, but it's still, it's actually, you know, the processing and the decoding is being done in an FPGA in the radio. It's not like a traditional, um, you know, uh, traditional D, uh, what's the word I'm looking at? Not decoding, um, demodulating. Demodulating. Yeah. I'm looking at it here. It's the, uh, Linko DXSR9. Yeah. So I, you know, it's, it's fair to, and worthwhile to mention that as well, because that's also, that may be another good way for somebody who wants a nice field portable HF radio, who has the capability to plug it into a computer to see, um, the bandwidth that the radio is seeing. That's, that may be another good option for folks. Yeah. And you know, I had an Alinko, uh, one time that I actually bought at a CB shop in town that someone had brought in and wanted it tuned to, you know, be a illegal CB and, Something had happened. Anyways, the guy ended up selling it to me for 120 bucks, and um, I bought it just to resell. But I started using it, and it was a you know huge LCD. Audio quality was good. It didn't have any of the fancy features or anything, but it was a good radio. 
And, um, you know, I'm kind of upset that I over overlooked this. This should have been one of the ones we talked about because it's been out for a little while now. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the performance on it would be great for someone who's, you know, kind of interested in this. And I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to get a price on that because, you know, that when you think about the KX3 fully loaded with the amplifier to make it 100 watts and then the other uh, the pan adapter, you know, you're at. I can't. We figured this out once. It's like well over two thousand dollars with all the options and everything. And um, then you just got to get the amplifier because can't have part of the kit. No, well, and that's the thing is, you know, you you and I, you have everything except for the PX3, and I have everything except for the two meter module. Well, I might on something then. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, that's not <laughs> at this point. Your uh, your like little portable SDR kit is quite impressive and. If you have pictures of that you're willing to share, you should send those along to Kale to put in the show notes because uh, that's another thing. You know, you are a man after my own heart because you are a a case for everything and everything in its case kind of guy. And um, some of your organization boxes you had last year were just really slick, um, and everything was easy to grab. You had all your cable adapters and filters, and it was just awesome. Well, thank you. I'm still stalling yeah. to try to find the price of that radio. It's all right. I can stall all night. $649. And I'm reading here that you don't have to have an external uh, interface. It has a USB interface on it. That's right. It has a USB port right on it um, that outputs the bandwidth. Like I said, I think it's 192 kilohertz, but I'm not 100% certain. Something to look at. Absolutely. So I think that's going to do it for a good wide overview of an introduction to software-defined radio. And I'm sure there's something we left out. Yeah, and I think to, uh, you know, tease a future episode is, you know, if the users, if this is something, or the listeners, if this is something they're interested in, you know, go over to, like, flight24radar.com and look at those radar maps, and everything that we've talked about tonight, you're completely capable of hosting at your house. In fact, Kale has his own ADSB beacon, or not beacon, but ADSB receiver set up at his house, and he can see all the planes that fly over. Yep, and what's cool is that that's a if you're looking for a specific project of something to do with SDR, um, ADSB is the protocol that all commercial and private aircraft. I think private is that right? All aircraft, not yet. Com- okay, so all commercial right aircraft, now it's commercial. They're trying to push it to all aircraft. So ADSB is effectively APRS, but for aircraft, it's it's required that these airplanes squawk um, their identity and you know some flight data. And there's a movement across the country where people are taking these RTL SDR dongles, taking specific software packages that have been written for their Raspberry Pi. You throw it in a box, you buy a $5 antenna, stick it in your attic, and it just is looking for ADSB traffic out of the air and capturing it and decoding it and sending it onto the internet to sites like Flight Radar 24. Yeah, and it's, you know, um, ADSB Exchange is the name of the one I'm thinking about. And that's one where, you know, a bunch of people have just set them up and, you know, they're all feeding into a server. So you have, you know, worldwide coverage, um, but on, you know, your own private network. And the same thing can be had, you know, yourself. If, uh, you know, you live by, or if a family live, member lives by an airport, you can build a little package and just have them plug it into the wall and you're receiving. Um, my longest one so far, I was in San Diego, California, and I got a beacon from a plane in Prescott, Arizona. And I've got a picture of it because I know no one will ever believe me. The, uh, you know, I live within 
10 miles or less of three different uh, small commercial airports. And I, any night that I go out on my front lawn, I see 50 airplanes fly overhead. And, and I really, this is one of those things that I, I should get around to doing someday, but I just haven't made the time for it. Um, I think that's SDRs. There's one more thing I want to cover with you, though. What's that? I have something in my hand I think would make you super jealous. This is a family-friendly show, Jeremy. <laughs> Indeed it is, but uh, as we were sitting here, I looked to my right and noticed that I had received a package today that my wife did not tell me about, and that package was from George. And inside, not only did I have my date and credentials for the booth and whatnot, I have a brand new Pactena Mini. Ooh. And uh, You know, on that... Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. On the last episode, I bragged about the Pactena, and I still did. Or I, I still do. In fact, I was just talking to a guy about it today. Um, I'm getting to go on another business trip. And sure enough, two things I'm taking with me is a KX3 and a Pactena. And if I get a chance, I'm going to throw it up because, you know, it's... It's a whole, you know, antenna solution in a bag. So I chose to get the 9-to-1 random wire. Um, it comes very well wrapped in uh, some bubble wrap and sealed inside of a static bag. Um, the construction quality is everything you expect from the other pack of The board is the really nice thick uh, fiberglass. The uh, BNC connector is well mechanically connected. There's a little S-hook um, in the line itself. And I actually, I have no idea how much, what the random wire length is on here. Um, I But man, the, the fact that it's its own wire um, winder is awesome. I have the, uh, the NFED, like the, the PAR or the LNR Precision NFED trail-friendly version. And it's kind of, you know, a box with a big mess of wire. This is really slick. Oh yeah, that, um, I saw when he released that. And I thought it was a good idea to kill a whole bunch of birds with one stone. Listening to his last, uh, you know, in the episode 50, and he was talking about how to match, you know, in-feds to a half-wave wire. Uh, um, that might be the option that I look into because, um, you know, his explanation of that really kind of got me interested in wanting to do some resonant in-fed antennas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually, I, w I had the option to choose either, um, and I may actually pick the other one up at Dayton. Um, I chose this one just because the KX3 has a tuner in it, and this is one ready-to-go multi-band package. I can't wait to play with that. I also got some really cool Pac-10 stickers, and more importantly, my Dayton Pass. So I am uh, ready to go. Is well, it Gerald? a press pass? No, no, no. It's our, oh, boot, our, our booth pass. Oh, well... You need a press pass. Although they misspelled my name. There's an extra E. Actually, there's a lot of unnecessary E's, and we're missing an A that should be in there. <laughs> well, between you and George, I think you're covered on the name wagon. Oh, I'm not worried about it. I, I've seen plenty of guys at Dayton. Like I almost think they do this on, person, on purpose. I've seen plenty of guys at Dayton who take Sharpies and draw through the misspellings of their names and correct it. The important part is that my call sign is correct. <laughs> Speaking of call signs, before we go, I just wanted to say one crazy call small uh small world thing we were at dayton my first year and i saw a guy wearing a shirt with a fox on it and his call sign was ka9fox and i kind of chuckled to myself because that's you know close to a friend of ours call sign and so i walked up to him shook his hand and said you know oh hey you know my buddy's got a call sign like yours and he said oh yeah i remember when i was putting in for that vanity and 
um, you know, we laughed about it and I went on with life. The other day, I went and uh, sent an email on a guy at SwapQTH, and you know, you get that pre-generated email back saying this, you know, it's a copy of the message you sent. Mm-hmm. If you look at the bottom of that email, I guess the webmaster for SwapQTH is KA9FOX. Oh, wow. Small ham world. Small so maybe he world. listens. <laughs> well, Gerald, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to spend an evening with us uh, talking SDR and catching up. I am, uh, I got to be honest, with you, I am really sad that you're not going to make Dayton this year. Yeah, as am I. Yeah. I've tried. I've yeah. pulled out all my stops. Got to gotta pay the bills. So, yeah, it's not well, bad to be working. Hopefully next year, if if this uh, if the booth is successful this year and folks like us, we'll uh, I'm sure we'll try to do it again next year, and uh, hopefully you'll get out next year. You have to come at least once every couple years. Oh, I will. You've also got to come down to Mino for the Mina Ham Fest in Mino, Arkansas, and I got to come visit you out in the Central United States as well. Yep, it's nice and flat here. Long VHF comp shots. It is, but you got that weird low percentage beer. But again, it's a family show. <laughs> All right, sir. Thank you so much for your time. We will talk to you soon. 73. 73. So that's going to wrap up episode number 51 of Ham Radio 360. Big thank you to Jeremy and Gerald. Yeah, thank you guys so much. That's just the that's just dipping our toe in the water. We're going to take this SDR thing as far as we need to go to learn all we can about what's out there for SDR Radio and the amateur radio hobby. Again, a big shout out to our friends who gave to get me to Dayton. Most, if not all of you, have received your stuff. And those who have it, well, we're still waiting on the printer to fix it, but we're going to get it to you really soon. Again, thank you so much for your support, your kind words, the tweets, the retweets, the Facebook likes. We're all over, all over social media. And the best place to start is hamradio360.com. Let us know what we can do for you. If you have some topics that you're interested in hearing us discuss, let us know. We'll work to get it on the air. Until next time, guys, we really appreciate you being here, and we'll see you. God bless you, 73, y'all. Thank you for listening to Ham Radio 360, brought to you by mtcradio.com. For more information about the program, visit hamradio360.com. Till next time. 73s, y'all.